Dennis, how are you doing hey. today? Hey, John, how are you? I'm good. It's always um, a, a somber uh, day when it's uh, September 11th, and uh, thought we'd take this opportunity 19 years after the fact to uh, talk a bit. And, the, and I guess the first thing I would mention, it's just – it's, it does not seem that it's been that long. And obviously what that means for our community is there's so many people within the AML community in the private and public sector that 9-11 is just a historical, an important one, but a note for them as opposed to you and I that were obviously part of the response after that. Yeah, um, it, it's always a, a somber anniversary. And I, I remember, John, when you hosted the 10th anniversary um, session, we did that in New York and it was live. And uh, here we are nine years beyond that. So the, the idea that it's 19 years since uh, since 9-11, it's 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 really hard to believe uh, how that time has flown by. Yeah. And so I, I thought it would be interesting uh, to take not so much a look back, but sort of a, a look after 9-11, the changes, for the most part, that were very positive, unfortunately, as a result of a tragic uh, uh, and murderous day. But there was um, there was some major changes in both the financial sector and the AML, AML community in general. And the one thing that, that struck me is immediately after 9-11, you created a division within the FBI. And part of your mission, besides the obvious, was to work together with the private sector and talk a bit about how that worked and, and how it continues today. Yeah, that, that's a tremendous point, John. And yeah, that was one of the very first things that we did was um, the first thing we did was get the interagency community together and anybody that had a financial investigative nexus uh, to, to, to form a task force. And then the second thing, which was probably even more important, was to reach out to the financial institutions, to the banks, uh, to the MSBs and everybody in that sector to get to get their support because we needed their help. Uh, we needed their help in a lot of ways. We'd never dealt with terrorism like this before. We never dealt with terrorist financing, um, especially from kind of a, a monitoring or detection standpoint. And, and we needed all the guidance we could get. And we brought together an awful lot of folks in the community who had some some tremendous uh, contributions and ideas that we were able to shape into into a, a really good cohesive response to the uh, to the events of 9/11. And I I vividly remember before I even reached out to people, John, people were calling me. In fact, you called me um, with with the ABA. Rick Small had called me and, and a number of the bankers who, who I'd worked with over the years were calling to ask what could they do to contribute. And, and we were lining that all up and, and getting them on board. In fact, uh, as an aside, as kind of one of the backstories with 9-11 was um, the first set of calls I was receiving were from bankers who wanted to help. What can we do to assist? And then the second call from some of the same bankers was you guys are killing us with subpoenas and, and our initial investigative response. And this is before I was able to, to, to centralize the financial response was that we had 56 field offices in the FBI 
and the director turned them all loose. And basically everybody was just working the response to 9-11. And there were a handful of offices that had agents who were really good financial investigators. And they were subpoenaing the same records because within within hours after the attacks, you know, we had because of the um, cell phone coverage and the calls coming from the hijacked planes, they had identified the seats that the hijackers were in. And from the seats, we were able to construct their identities and, and get the initial financial footprint that we needed, those fragments of credit card leads or bank account information that was critical to us in those early days. And so different field offs, like for instance, New York, DC, and Boston were all issuing subpoenas to the banks involved. And I started getting those calls like you're killing us because everything, and if you recall, at that point in time, everything was paper centric. You know, we weren't receiving subpoena responses uh, in an automated fashion. So that, that, that created more havoc, chaos, and, and burden on the financial institutions. And it also helped shape my opinion that we had to have that centralized. It reinforced that, that we had a fragmented financial investigative response that needed to be focused. So I think one of the undercurrents is that the financial sector deserves a lot more credit than they ever received. Yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, and, cre- and credit's hard, you know, given what, what occurred because it's, it was a patriotic, patriotic response. Um, but it was interesting because the 9-11 commission, as you're well aware, that I think we both t- talked to, looked at that because there was some initial political types on all sides that were taking shots at the financial sector and, you know, complaining that, uh, that we had missed these things. But as you've said many, many times in in many uh, classes you've taught and training sessions, you've taught the dollars uh, that were needed for this horrific act were, were pretty minor. Right. And so it really, no matter how aggressive your surveillance and monitoring was back then, the chances of picking up these, uh, these activities potentially as red flags for the most part really didn't exist. Right. Oh, absolutely. And, and both the um, terrorist financing monograph that the nine 11 commission did that focused specifically on the finance and the nine 11 commission report itself um, right in the introductory section talked about how the financial sector didn't miss any, any red flags, how, how, Everything that these these people did, the, the hijackers, the facilitators, um, the leaders that were involved in the planning, whatever they did financially was unremarkable. That's the word they used, unremarkable. And it didn't raise to a level that, that would have uh, alerted to um, monitoring at all back then. Yeah. yeah. And, and the other part of this that's interesting, you talked about um, – centralizing as quickly as you could the investigation. Um, One of the criticisms over time has always been, fair or unfair, that law enforcement writ large doesn't partner as much as they should between agencies. And I know there's there's all sorts of rationales and, and, and sometimes there's regulatory reasons why certain agencies do one thing and others do another. But talk a bit about that. So the initial uh, working together with other organizations and and where you think we are today in 2020 regarding that, that partnering. Well, you know, I think on, on 
in a lot of respects, there was some partnering, but there wasn't the level of partnering that we needed. And, and clearly, I think that the, the, the biggest um, friction point was between the intelligence community and the law enforcement community. And that was because of um, the pre-Patriot Act uh, restrictions where you couldn't share intelligence information with criminal uh, investigators. And, and that, that posed an investigative problem. But you also had the human element in there. I think there's a, the, the natural competition and, and certainly you and I have talked about it over the years. Uh, the infighting and turf wars that you had to deal with. And, and this was clearly an, in, an instance where that had to cease. And, and I think that, that in the financial investigation, we absolutely took the lead in that regard and set the precedent for the entire government sector because we, we, we immediately saw um, the synergy between the FBI um, and, and Homeland, well, Customs, who became Homeland Security, right, right. Treasury, and and then um, the intelligence community, the CIA in particular. I, I actually sent um, a squad of agents over to the CIA and had them detailed to their financial component that they had established in the Counterterrorism Center, and they, in response, sent um, a CIA folks to us. And what we did was. We sat back and 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 kind of conceptualized the fact that they had the extraterritorial reach that and and expertise that that we didn't have at that point in time, and we certainly had the domestic reach, the domestic contacts with the financial institutions, and the fact is that they had no authority to do anything in the United States. So by us being able to share financial intelligence and by us being able to keep it as unclassified as possible through the grand jury process, um, that, that certainly enhanced our ability to work together. And then it set the stage for us to work with the entire interagency community. And just on that point, David Offhauser, who was the, mm -hmm, um, right. he was the general counsel of treasury at that point in time. He, um, he more than anybody harnessed the resources and, and the agencies to work together. And we formed the policy coordinating committee on terrorist financing that again um, was, was built on, on trust between the agencies. And clearly we would have weekly meetings that from time to time um, there would be a lot of conflict between agencies. But by the end of those meetings, we were in consensus on the steps that we needed, needed to take as a community and, and whether that was a law enforcement response, an intelligence response, a sanctioning response, or some kind of diplomatic response, we were pretty much in lockstep on how to proceed. And, and I think that served more than anything as, as, as the prime example for the entire government sector in cooperation. And just you know, two, two quick points, if I can uh, sure. follow up on that, is that um, the 9-11 Commission when they looked back at the investigative response, the entire um, financial response, uh, we were the sector that got the highest grade. And, and, and in great measure, that was because of the cooperation, uh, not only interagency cooperation, but cooperation with the financial sector in particular. And, and then our ability to become proactive and, and that was critically important because we established some proactive mechanisms that were, were fabulous and things we never did before. And then 
just, you know, from a personal uh, standpoint, when, when I retired from, from the FBI, I received a personal letter from the secretary of the treasury thanking me for you know, my contributions and, and talking about that the interagency response and, and, you know, how, how that served going forward to, to protect um, national security. And, and that's something I'll always be proud of. And, and the fact that we work together as an interagency um, community and, and public and private sectors involved uh, was, was really was phenomenal. And I remember like when you, you just mentioned that we established a number of groups I had four separate working groups with different segments of the uh, financial services industry, and and those folks couldn't have been more cooperative and and more participatory than than they were. You know that's uh, and I know that continues to some degree to this day in terms of uh, uh, I'm no longer part of this, but the meetings that were were held within uh, government agencies with the FBI and, and bankers and others sharing information. But my question in terms of working across agency lines, not trying to make this political, I don't get the sense totally anecdotally that it's as strong now than it has been. Is that fair? Or do you think the day-to-day men and women from Homeland Security and IRS and FBI are still working together or is there, are there some challenges? Yeah, I, unfortunately, I agree with you on that, John. I think that we're 19 years removed from such a horrific event. And 19 years ago, it was crystal clear to us what our response needed to be. 19 years later, uh, I think we've taken a step back in, in terms of that urgency that we had after 9-11. And, and I think we've kind of taken a step back um, and I hate to say become more complacent, but in some regards we have, which has a, a, a negative impact then on that interagency working relationship. And I think that's just kind of uh, human nature, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think that's true. That's true of policymakers. You know, the Patriot Act, as we know, passed in three weeks. Was it Was it perfect? No, but there was, I would argue, some really good, provisions on information sharing and other things that we utilize to this day and obviously was a 300 page uh, law. So there's a lot of things you can quibble with, but I I do think when you lose that urgency, you do sometimes lose that, but let's go back to the, um, the point you made earlier. And that is that, uh, you know, terrorist financing, I think uh, arguably wasn't uh, on anybody's radar prior to 9-11, except probably in some pockets of the government. So it's not completely fair. But certainly post 9-11, terrorist financing issues for both international terrorism and now, sadly, domestic terrorism have become relevant to the financial sector. And I know they crave folks like yourself to explain, you know, sort of practical direction on how to look for a look for, again, transactional activity and other uh, actions so that they can be more vigilant and have accurate reporting. Uh, So also talk a bit about where we stand in 2020 regarding uh, terrorist financing, because, again, I know you do do a lot of writing about it. You a lot of training and teaching about it, both in the government and outside the government. So it seems there's still a lot of interest in trying to stay on top of that. 
Yeah, um, there, there is. That, I think that's a good point, John, is that um, here we are in, in 2020, uh, 19 years out, and um, there, there, there is a, a greater focus on terrorist financing, on what the warning signs are, um, and, and what we need to be looking for. And I think there are a lot of really, really good people, uh, very astute people in the financial industry, in, in financial institutions, both in the banks and the MSBs, who have really gotten um, on top of this more proactively than they have. So the one thing going to, the, to, the, to where we are today versus where we were is we have the ability to be more proactive and more targeted in our monitoring and and. In, in some of the things that, that we do to identify terrorist financing. That said, it's still an incredibly big challenge to identify terrorist financing because it is so so much more unique than, than typical money laundering. And then we've got the changing dynamics of the terrorist threat. That's ever-changing because, as you and I both know, in in the recent podcast that we did, we talked about domestic terrorism, right, yeah. and and clearly, you know, before nine eleven, domestic terrorism was a problem, but differently, it was more group oriented and group focused, whereas now it's more uh, lone actor or uh, loosely affiliated groups or or ideologies versus you know an actual group. But we also have the threat. We we have the threat of the terrorist organizations like Al-Qaeda still and the Islamic State. But, but those threats have changed because where before, you know, we were looking at more organizationally driven funding, um, funding that came from the organization directly to the operatives. And like 9-11 is a great example of that. The 19 hijackers received all their financing or just about all their financing uh, from from bin Laden directly through uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed on through the facilitators and then to themselves uh, today, with the homegrown violent extremists, they're self-funded. So what we're looking at today is different. And so we need to be more informed about it. And, and I don't know across the board that we are, but I know that within a number of financial institutions, there is a lot of great work going on and, and a, a much better understanding for this. And we talked earlier too about, you know, before 9-11, there, there really was very little or no focus on terrorist financing. So, you know, one thing that's happened over the last 19 years is that there's been a constant drumbeat that we need to do things. And in fact, I think the government's done a better job. I know that uh, recently, for instance, Jeff Cannon, when he had uh, when he was the head of uh, the terrorist financing operations section at the FBI, worked very diligently to get security clearances for bankers, um, if not you know permanent security clearances, at least temporary clearances when they had meetings at FBI headquarters that that they could they could give um, a, a, a temporary clearance for the meetings so that they could share classified information that wasn't otherwise available. And that's the information we need to share. That's the information that, that, that really informs the banks to be more proactive and targeted in the monitoring and, their, and in recognizing those factors that they need to do to deal with to disrupt activity. And, and I'm aware of um, with, with certain banks, um, there's phenomenal work going on. And unfortunately, it's, it's work that doesn't get to the to the to 
into the media or into right. the public domain as as much as it, as as I'd like to see it. Yeah, and you you were always a big proponent about security clearances, so it's good to see that there's some at least some version of that is happening because obviously we agree with you. The I guess the last thing is, you know, 19 years ago, uh, now we have virtual currency. Now we have, as you know, because you and I are working on a separate project uh, to get art and antiquity dealers covered under the Bank Secrecy Act because that's being used by terrorists. Um, so we're much more aware of the uh, of the activity that could lead to illicit funds being used for terrorism, but it's become even harder because there's so many real estate, so many other spaces. So if you're talking to uh, a fairly new AML professional, um, what what do you think is the big, and I hate using the jargon takeaway because it was a horrific act in our history that we should never forget, but what what is your biggest thing they need to remember in the AML community post 9-11? Well, you know, the, the the first thing that I tell them, and, and, and not to be melodramatic about it, but is that they are actually on the front line in the fight against terrorism, that financial intelligence is incredibly important, and financial intelligence gives us an opportunity to be proactive in our response. And whether we're proactive or what I refer to as urgently reactive, we need to act in, in that fashion, that sense of urgency, and, and clearly where we can be proactive, uh, we have a much better opportunity in those circumstances to disrupt and, and really deny the funding uh, flows that terrorists need to sustain their operations. Last question. Um, if somebody wanted to read up, besides the 9-11 Commission report and the monographs, those things which I think are valuable and those of us in AML community don't mind reading detail. But uh, what have you read? Any any books or movies or things that do a, a service to 9-11 that you would recommend for people? Because for a lot of people, it's it's a history lesson, right? For those that are, you know, 30 years old, they were 10 when this happened or whatever. So what, what do you think would uh, give them a clear, as clear as possible, view of of what happened and sort of the immediate postscript. Yeah, I think there are, there really are a, a few very good books out there um, that you can follow. I think there are some that were written with more of an academic uh, mindset or perspective. And, and there were some written with more um, of a um, practical perspective. Uh, perspective like for instance Juan Zarate's book sure. um, and, and I right, Treasury's right. War yeah right. um, I, I think that that's a, a pretty good practical guide to it um, there were a couple of books um, you know, if, if you were interested in kind of the money for uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed there was a book called The Hunt for KSM um, mm. it was written by um, oh, um, Josh Myers and then I don't forget I forget the other co-author uh -huh. um, that that was a pretty good book um, I know Sue Eckert who we both know um, right. she's written a book and and um, uh, Gretchen Peters or Peterson Peters I think her name is um, she she'd written a book about about terrorist financing and then you know there are there there are books out there with kind of a different spin on them that that tell uh, some interesting stories like the 1% doctrine mm -hmm. uh, with, with uh, Ron Suskind and, 
and 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 a couple of other books like that that are out there. Oh, um, and and oh gosh, dude, it escapes me now. The one about John O'Neill, uh, Looming oh, the Towers. Lo- the Looming yeah. Towers. Yeah, that, yeah, I saw the I saw the the uh, television program on one of the yeah. uh, streaming services. I did not read the book, but I heard the the book was uh, very well done as well. So that that's a lot to. That's a lot right there. So, you know, yeah. Dennis, um, I'll, I'll stop here and just say thank you again for all the information you continue to provide our community. And if we can just make the case to everybody that's listening, uh, you know, every year on 11 should not pass without us remembering a, a few things. Obviously, the first responders who uh, did so, so many heroic things and unfortunately, paid for their lives then or now, because obviously there was a continuing um, uh, impact of that. Obviously the agencies that you worked with and worked together connected with all the great work that they've done. And as you mentioned, the financial sector also uh, stepped up and I I believe still continues to step up. So I think if anything good can, can happen from something horrific, it's that we are, we are more prepared than we've been, we got to stay on top of it, like you say, even if there's not a particular urgency. But I would argue there's a lot of urgency, unfortunately, yes. with domestic terrorism and still international activity. But really, really appreciate you uh, giving us some insight today. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, thanks for, for, for having a topic like this, especially on a day like today, where we really need to go back and reflect on 19 years. Think about it. Next year is 20 years, 20 year anniversary. And, and I'm sure that that'll get a lot more coverage, but it's, it's nice to see that, that we are covering this with, with I, I think, a little more passion than we have in the last few years. Yeah, no, thanks so much. Dennis, take care of yourself. Stay safe. Right. Thanks, John.